The only thing that's going to become more predictable is that things are going to become more unpredictable. That was the message from a seminar this week entitled Brexit and You. It doesn't really matter which way I voted on Brexit. What matters now is we've done it. Article 50 is about to be served. We have to make sure we get the best deal for farmers and growers in this country. We'll hear from one of the key speakers at that seminar this morning with claims a British agricultural policy could be a decade away. If you look at the number of EU regulations that cover agriculture alone, we're looking at more than 3,000. How we're going to unpick that, make sense of it in the future, you know, it's a big job. Sunday, March 19th, 2017. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It was the week we thought the Prime Minister was about to finally press the button and trigger Article 50. Instead, we now know it will be in just over a week's time instead, most likely a week tomorrow. At PMQs on Wednesday, there was a message for farming from the Prime Minister, though, with Brexit approaching. It came in answer to a question from the Louthan Horncastle MP, Victoria Atkins. As the government prepares to strike new trade deals, international trade deals, will my right honourable friend ensure that the high standards we expect of our food producers and farmers will be met and maintained in these deals and will this government continue to back British farming? assure my honourable friend that we will certainly do that. I remember when I visited her prior to the general election in 2015, sampling some of the excellent Lincolnshire sausages that uh, come from her constituency. But we do have an opportunity to build a new future for our food and farming industry when we leave the European Union. We will maintain the UK's high standards of food safety and of animal welfare. That will be a priority for us. And any trade deals we enter into will need to be right for consumers, for businesses, for farmers. They will need to ensure our food safety and environmental protection and, of course, the animal welfare standards I've just referred to. Well, a few hours after that comment from the Prime Minister, the Brexit and You seminar was held at the Newark showground, so perfectly timed. The aim? To explore the huge implications of our exit from the EU. Julie Robinson was among the speakers. She's former Chief Legal Advisor at the NFU and now Head of the Agricultural Team at Roythorn Solicitors. It's fair to say, though, in two years and two weeks' time, when we do finally withdraw from the EU, things won't really look that much different, will they, Julie? Um, I, I don't think they are when we listen to what the government is saying. A lot of the laws and regulations that govern agriculture come from the EU and the government has made it clear that it will enact something that it's calling the Great Repeal Bill at the moment, and that will repeal the European Communities Act, but at the same time will reintroduce um, those rules and regulations, so things like the organics regulations, things like the nitrates rules. So I think the day we wake up the day after Brexit on the farm, you can't go out and spread what you like on the farm and tear up your record book for MVs. It'll all still be there. There's room then for it to be negotiated and looked at um, after that, but we with, uh, with more time to review than we've got now. Do you think, I mean, we're looking maybe 10 years time for a British agricultural policy to be actually in place and know what it looks like? Uh, well, I do. I mean, if you look at the number of EU regulations and, and let's say, legislative instruments that cover agriculture alone, we're looking at more than 3,000. Uh, and then you've got competition law, transport and all the rest of it. Um, health and safety, employment. How we're going to kind of unpick that and make sense of it in the future, um, it, it, you know, 
it's a big job. It's, and I think that from on, in farming alone, there's an awful lot of negotiating to do. Devolves are involved. I think there'll be an interim scheme. I can't really see how everything can be ready by, t- you know, 2019. So I can see it taking, far, you know, minimum of five years before we get to the policy we'd like to have. And, and the message you were giving, really, the, the session ceiling was, you know, don't don't stand still. Don't don't not make decisions. Don't make changes because, you know, yeah. the stewardship schemes, those kind of things. You're still going to be signing up to them. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you do, don't let it block things that need to happen so if you get a good battery storage opportunity and it makes sense to do it do it don't not do it because of brexit the same as countryside stewardship schemes don't not do them because there's a clause which allows the government to to terminate them um, without notice and equally if there's something needs doing do it if if you need to sort out a family issue and sort out succession planning um, don't wait for for Brexit to happen and for a new agriculture policy in 10 years' time, you need to sit down and get, get it sorted out um, in the environment that we have, you know, in the context that we have now, today. Do you feel some are doing that, that they are kind of thinking, well, let's wait and see what happens before we do anything next? I think um, what we saw last year, just after the vote, was a bit of a break being put on. Um, so, for example, some land sales were put on pause and some investments were put on pause, some big investments were put on pause. I think that was quite... Uh, that was quite to be expected. It was a big decision. The impact was potentially enormous. People took a step back, but then came back into the market. Um, so uh, I think that less so now, but I think they're probably, particularly when it comes to making big investments on farm, there is a little bit of, shall we wait another six months and see how things are going, how the pound is, what we know about what's happening, and particularly on the trade front, which is a crucial uh, bit of this whole jigsaw. So as you say, don't, don't necessarily stand still, but if you are signing up new contracts, tenancy agreements coming up, that kind of thing, do consider Brexit. I mean, that's a clear message, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you would be rash to go into a 10, 15, 20-year farm business tenancy, contract farming agreement that they would usually be shorter without thinking, hang on a minute, uh, what if direct support does go How? Because we've built it into these agreements, so how can we mitigate it against it? Maybe putting in the right to call for a rent review in a farm business tenancy. So you want a long term because you want to be able to invest and know you've got it for 10 years, but you don't want to be stuck at a rent that reflects 70 quid an acre subsidy. So there are ways to build in some uh, Brexit or, you know, to have Brexit flexible agreements, as we're calling them in the office. If, if we had a crystal ball, where do you think we'll be in 10 years' time? Will there, will there still be small family farms, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think there will. And I think that just because... Just because you're a family farm and you might be, uh, you know, what in this part of the world is, is considered quite small, 250, 300 acres, 400 acres, doesn't mean that you're not doing deals with other farms. doesn't mean that you haven't got a combined sharing agreement. It doesn't mean that you've not got a joint, that you're not part of a purchasing group. So there are all sorts of ways to tap into uh, the benefits of scale and cooperation without losing your, your family identity. But if you were to push me on this, I do think, as, as we've seen historically, that farms have got bigger, that I think we will see um, a reduction in the number of holdings and farms will get bigger yeah changing times ahead then but you, you seem fairly 
positive about them. We can we can grasp. We've been through bigger changes, I guess. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> we, well, we have. You know, we've been through world wars and um, and come out of it. And I think uh, you know it doesn't really matter which way I voted on Brexit. What matters now is we've done it. Article 50 is about to be served. Uh, we have to make sure practitioners, advisors, all of the representative bodies. We have to make sure that we get the best deal for farmers and growers in this country. Julie Robinson of Roythorns there, always thought-provoking. The CLA has outlined what it's calling its red lines that must not be crossed to secure the best possible deal for food and farming in those Brexit negotiations. It says the UK must not unilaterally reduce its tariffs from those it currently applies as a member of the EU. The UK producers must continue to benefit from protected designation of origin and protected geographical indications, things like Melton Mowbray, Port Pies, Welsh lamb, making sure they can't be replicated elsewhere. Also, that UK farmers who want to comply with EU regulations and trade with the EU must be able to do so, and that there must be minimal friction for imports and exports between the UK and the EU. Well, as I say, it's now expected Article 50 will be triggered in just over a week's time. So we'll catch up with Ben Underwood of the CLA on next week's programme and explore in more details those red lines being drawn up and indeed whether the government will take any notice. Back to this week and on to the latest from Open Field. It's uh, Chris Spratt with the report this week. Morning, Sean. How are you? Yes, fine. Thank you very much. Good. What's uh, what's happening in the world of Openfield? Well, uh, I suppose uh, this week incoming calls have been relatively few and far between, Sean. Uh, growers really putting marketing of grain on the back burner for the time being and, and more intent on prioritising the land work, whether that's spraying, applying fertiliser or drilling spring crops. And I think the individual success is very dependent on who you speak to and which soil types and what from, from what part of country they're farming, really. It's, it's still too wet to travel without making an awful mess in some areas. And other people have been able to get on relatively well. Um, that's, of course, an easy decision to make when, uh, when you haven't got to make it. But patience is often the key to successful spring drilling. But there's no guarantee of a run of settled weather patterns, as we know. And that's just what keeps the pressure on growers to uh, make that decision. Market-wise, well, internationally, there's been a flurry of activity with further wheat purchases made by Egypt on Wednesday. They bought seven cargoes consisting of 300,000 tonnes of Russian wheat, 60,000 tonnes from the Ukraine and 60,000 tonnes from France. In actual fact, there was a few offers out there. They did receive 17 offers in total from five different countries. Uh, on Thursday, Algeria also purchased 480,000. And throughout the week, there has been other inquiries uh, you know, being talked about. So there's quite a, a good two-way trade towards the end of the season, really. The overall bigger picture for wheat is still not bullish. The USDA world wheat stocks, if we look at those, they're 10 million tonnes up over the last uh, year and 55 million tonnes since the start of the 2014-15 season, which I think is fine if you just look at it in isolation on a spreadsheet. But as we've talked about before, it's often about quality, logistics, the ability to pay, availability of the crop at the time of purchase, and that can always keep the market on its toes. Domestically, the UK wheat market, as we know, is tight this season, and it looks like that this uh, could follow through into next year, dependent on yields after last week's um, uh, AHDB survey that uh, Tom had mentioned previously. All seed rate, well, again, the big percentage of the domestic crop now sold. Crushers have been uh, importing from Australia and France throughout the season. The market appears to be drifting at the moment just on a bit of an inactivity as much as anything else, but there is still three months of the season left to go. Malting barley values, well, they're still holding well on old and new crop, with feed barley still the poor relation dragging its heels compared to the other crops. 
And if we have a quick look at prices, April feed wheat is 147 to 150 pound X farm plus a pound a month. The Group One milling wheat premiums in the nearby, well, they're still uh, pretty poor, really, two or three pounds over feed. Uh, and also, I would just say to um, growers out there, uh, just check your moistures uh, at this stage in the season before you let anything leave the farm. And certainly don't let anything going to a milling wheat or a biscuit wheat home leave the farm unless it's um, below 15% or you're assured that it's going to get tipped with an allowance. Feed wheat for harvest, 133 to 135 X farm, with November 17, 136 to 139, and May 18, 145 to 142. And then for the crop that will go in the ground this autumn, November 18 feed wheat, X farm 137 to 140. Old crop feed barley, 120 pound, with harvest at 109 to 110, and November 17, 115 to 117. All seed rape, uh, 345 to 347 for April with a pound a month carry, and harvest 307 for harvest, and uh, £8 more for November at 315. And finally, beans, April feed beans, unchanged over the week, 158 to 161 X farm, dependent on location. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Now, it's uh, been a few weeks since we last caught up with Colin Jackson at PJP Potatoes, so let's rectify that now, shall we? Hello, Colin. Yeah, morning, Sean. What's uh, what's uh, the latest? Right, yes, well, we're, we're still plodding on. We're still here. <laughs> um, market is rising steadily. Um, we've seen certain sectors, I would say, uh, the frying sector for the fish and chip trade, um, that's been going up um, steadily away over the last sort of four weeks, really. Um, we were at sort of top end prices of sort of 280 to 300 pounds, and that's moved on really to not quite up to the 400 pounds on the farm, but certainly knocking on the door for one or two certain samples. Um, certainly prices are sort of 330 up to 380 I've heard um, being paid for, for, for top quality frying potatoes so that's uh, that's moved onwards and upwards um, also potatoes bold potatoes that are for really for supply of the uh, the big jacket potato market um, that seems to be in in a shortage at the moment so again prices a similar kind of price level being paid also for for box baker material um, so uh, yeah, that's moved on um, Rest of the sectors, um, processing is sort of really sort of plodding on steady away in the sort of in the hundreds. So uh, really ranging depending on quality um, from sort of 100 pounds up towards 200 pounds um, for that kind of uh, material. Um, and the packing sector, the steam's come out of that a little bit sort of since Christmas. Um, so the prices again in a similar sort of vein really of. Uh, uh, generally around the £200 mark, um, but uh, some prices a bit below. And, and again, you know, some prices above um, for top quality gear. And roughly the, the quality, is it, is it there? Yeah, quality is quite good. Um, there seems to be, you know, there are some poorer quality samples out there, hence the, the cheaper prices. Um, but it's one of those seasons where everything will find a home um, because there's definitely a, a shortage of supply um, at the moment. Now, it may be that people are sitting on stocks um, and actually when it comes towards the later part of the season, there's more potatoes that come out of the woodwork and the trade is very much 
in two minds at the moment as to whether or not there is actually plenty of potatoes out there or whether or not we're in a in a, in, in quite a shortage situation and only really time will tell on that um you know we, there is no doubt that there wasn't an oversupply certainly in the market um of, of production but a lot of people are sort of making the uh the point that sales have been slow all the way through due to sort of relatively high prices um nobody's tearing up any trees with sales and so it'll be interesting to see there may be higher stocks left right at the end of the season than what uh, people are anticipating at the moment there's been a, a few stories certainly i've seen in the national press the last few weeks that um sales of potatoes have fallen what 20 20 percent fewer than a, a decade ago i know the prime minister's given up chris for um for lent so maybe that's a part of it um is that is that scaremongering or is that is that a concern um well Yes, no, it's true. You know, there, there is no doubt about it. You know, sales of, of the uh, of potatoes have dropped off and particularly fresh potatoes, fresh potatoes even more so. Um, we're finding that the processing sector um, is maintaining their market share or even increasing their market share. Everyone's got a bag of frozen chips in the freezer ready to go and this kind of thing. Um, but certainly, you know, people going out there and buying fresh potatoes in order to prepare a meal for themselves, let's say, um, is definitely a, a, a dropping off um, as far as sales goes on that, um, which is a shame. Um, but there's so much more choice out there these days. You know, you only have to look around a supermarket, don't you, and see what's available from all over the world and uh, frozen ready meals that are all done, you know, and uh, it, it's becoming a a lost art um, preparing your own meals these days. Indeed, such a shame. I mean, potato is such a versatile vegetable as well, really, isn't it? In the, yeah. the, the way, especially the fresh, you know. Exactly, and, and and the value in a fresh potato really can't be beaten. I mean, when you consider um, that even on this a relatively high-priced year, you can go and buy 25 kilos of spuds for less than a tenner. Um, and you think of the food value in there and how long that a sack of spuds lasts you, and you think, well, what's a tenner? I mean, you can't have a kebab for that most of the time, can you? You know, And this would last you a, a month probably and feed a family. So uh, it, it really does get lost, I'm afraid, the, uh, the value of something like a, a, a raw potato. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, we'll speak to you in a few weeks' time, Colin. OK. Uh, thank you for your time this morning. No problem, thank you. Colin Jackson of Jackson Potatoes. On to agronomy then, and as usual, we welcome Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Sean, keen to uh, hear what uh, Julie Robinson had to say earlier on in the programme on Brexit. Yes, morning, Sean. She talks a lot of sense, Julie, um, and I agree with her. It's Brexit is bringing a lot of uncertainty into not just general everyday life, but agriculture in particular. Um, and it hasn't hit yet. We've, we've yet to see what the implications of Brexit are. A couple of years down the line, it'll really start to bite. But I would also argue that farming has always had this seam of uncertainty running through it from what's the weather going to do, what's the world market going to do, which disease is going to be the problem, what pests are going to suddenly crop up, Is it? can we get out and actually spray, can we spread? All of these things bring uncertainty into agriculture. So one more thing isn't going to make a massive difference to us. And I think if any industry can stand it and ride the storm then it's agriculture i think the bigger threat to agriculture is probably resistance in pests weeds and diseases and also the loss of active ingredients for no apparent reason but i think that's a topic for another day so let's start with what the weather did we were fairly benign it's been a a fairly benign winter altogether but then come the middle of the week we're climbing up to 15s and 16s And it was glorious, bright sunshine, and you could really see these crops taking off. 
Um, now, with 15, 16 degrees, in particular, oilseed rape is running now. So if you still have clopyrrolid mixtures, clopyrrolid with picloram, if you've got biphenox, still to apply to your rape fields, I suggest you go out and have a look at those fields before you fill the sprayer up. Because once the buds begin to rise clear and go of the canopy and become the green bud growth stage, if you like, you're too late to put them on without risking significant crop damage. And in particular, biphenox, which is an off-label anyway, so it's, it's all your risk. Um, if you put biphenox on when the buds become exposed, you can cause significant damage to them as well. So make sure you're still within the right growth stages for the safety of the crop. We can't afford to lose it because of that. Also, once you get to green bud, yellow bud, we start thinking about pollen beetle. And when you get temperatures of 15, 16 degrees, that's warm enough to get pollen beetle migrating so the threat is potentially there but I haven't sprayed pollen beetle for over 12 years now because I haven't ever got to threshold your threshold is important if your agronomist is saying there's a few beetles out there you're putting a fungicide on anyway we might as well just go out and put an insecticide in because you're going through really question that because that isn't good enough get him to take you out of the field show you the pollen beetle if they're there spray them if they're not recreational insecticide applications are not wise because you'll take out all the little predators which are helping us you will also probably take out a population of pollen beetle which weren't doing any damage and in a couple of weeks time when the the buds start to open we're going to need them to pollinate the crop anyway but you'll do far more harm than good if you don't need to go thresholds anything up to 30 plants your threshold is 25 beetles per plant across the field not just on the headland across the field uh, if you've got 30 to 50 plants that drops to 18 beetles per plant if you've got 50 to 70 plants that drops back to 11 beetles per plant and if you're above 70 plants a square meter then your threshold is seven pollen beetle per plant but i emphasize that take a representative sample it's not just on the headland they're always going to be there and they're always going to migrate towards the plants which are more yellow than others um, light leaf spot disease levels slightly increased but again still nothing too severe and certainly nothing worth charging out and panicking over there's a bit of magnesium deficiency showing out there so make sure that's remedied when you go through uh, winter wheat winter barley leaf four starting emerge quite widely in winter wheat and winter barley and that is the timing for your t0 fungicide that's what you're trying to protect the yellow rust is about as bad as it was last week it's got no worse but very very obvious now in reflection skyfall cordial and several others put something in which will dry that out whether that be a triazole or whether that be a strob and for goodness sake don't forget the chlorthalonil that is an integral part of what you're doing because it will protect the rest of the canopy from the septoria getting any work if you've still got atlantis to put on by the way i suggest you make that a priority because the black grass will be killed far easier while it is small than it will when it gets bigger the bigger it gets the more amino acids it produces and they become a kind of antidote to the Atlantis so prioritize that and if you've nutrient deficiencies as well in other fields prioritize those to correct those before you start thinking about chucking caustic chemicals out there peas and beans uh, make sure you've got enough chemical in the shed to do the job you may struggle to get some of the preems now and remember that Without the preem, we're fairly snookered on peas and beans because we're so limited with our armory post-em. 
um, get them in at a good 30-40 mil depth into a nice fine firm seed bed, nice and warm. Don't put them into wet soils. And spring wheat and spring barley, if the reason you're growing them is to control black grass, make sure you get a good fine firm seed bed. Make sure you use all of the tools you have available as pre-emergence herbicides because once the crop's through the ground and the black grass is through the ground, there again is very little that you can do. Sugar beet, similarly with sugar beet, if you're on black grassland, use the tools we have. So use ethyl fumicate in your pre-em program because that will help sensitize the black grass but also remember you do have restrictions on ethofumicate you're allowed to use one litre per hectare of active ingredient in any one field over a three-year period and that means for a 500 gram product if you put half a litre in with your pre-em you've got another one and a half litres available to you to go through uh, the season to get up to that one litre of active ingredient so it is all a bit complicated but it is very, very good and does help against blackgrass. So winter wheat, we're sticking uh, the first nitrogen applications on widely now. Winter barley the same. Winter barley looks horrible, but then it always does at this time of year because it's been growing all through the winter using its reserves. It's now hungry and it's dragging some of the nutrients away from the older leaves. That's why they look a bit yellow, a lot of these crops. Um, but the first dose has gone on the oilseed rate. There are those most forward pieces of rate which are now getting their second dose. So I can't believe it's moving as quick as it can, but it really is. Don't get caught out by not looking. Thank you, Sean. Back next week, as we heard, the weather plays a key part in Sean's working life. So uh, what's in store for us this coming week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, today is cloudy with a possibility of a shower or two in place. It's quite breezy as well from the west-southwest, 25 to 35 miles an hour. Highs later of 14 Celsius. Overnight tonight, possibility of some heavy rain in places. 10 Celsius the low, still windy. From the southwest, 20 gusting at uh, 35, maybe even 40 miles an hour first thing tomorrow morning. Tomorrow itself, showers, but some sunny spells as well. Highs of about 10 Celsius. That wind from the west 25 to 35 miles an hour. Clear skies Monday into Tuesday, pushing temperatures down to around 2 Celsius. The wind from the west, southwest, 10 miles an hour, gusting at 20 for a time. And then Tuesday itself, again, the possibility of a few showers staying cloudy, 9 Celsius at best. The wind from the southwest at about 15 miles an hour. Some rain again on Tuesday evening. Should clear overnight, though. Again, temperatures down to around 2 Celsius. The wind dropping down from the southwest at about 5 miles an hour. And then Wednesday, the possibility of some showers, but again, some sunshine peeking through. We're looking at highs of about 10 Celsius. The wind continuing from the south at about 10 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week at the moment, it looks like uh, a spell of particularly heavy rain uh, is forecast. Um, it, it could change. We'll obviously keep a check as ever with the, uh, the hourly forecast. That wind blowing more from the, uh, the northeast and temperatures a little bit cooler, actually, more near the norm. But seven or eight Celsius, the highs with overnight lows sticking around two or three degrees. So that's the forecast. Next week, we'll hear from Ben at the CLA as the triggering of Article 50 finally arrives. Plus, we'll hear from Lloyds Bank on the financial risk and opportunities that lie ahead. Hitherto, the Common Agricultural Policy has provided a cushion for the consequences of some risks going against us. So if a price fell, um, there was always there has always been the cushion of a subsidy to get us by. There is potential that that cushion will it may not be completely removed but certainly be reduced and I think it's, it's time now for people to look at their own individual business and consider what are the consequences of them no longer having that cushion. That's next Sunday until then.
Have a good week's farming.